What do we do? What do we do when we wake up and we see on our screens things that we wish not to see? A little more close to home and maybe perhaps a little more personal for you is what do you do when you don't like the end part of a particular piece of your story? I mean, it's, it's not hard to look at what we do with the parts that we love. It's not difficult, the parts that we celebrate, the parts that we honor, the, the parts that are beautiful, where celebration just naturally flows and as it should. And that is such a good thing that there are so many things that we can pause and give thanks on this weekend that we pause and give thanks for the things that are abundant and clear. This is, is straightforward, but what about for the parts of our story that we may not choose, but we must go through? Is God still good when we go through that which isn't? Is God still good when we fail a class or we have a career roadblock, we are passed over yet again? when a relationship ends, when debt mounts, when you have a wayward child, when you have or experience profound outcomes opposite than which you prayed and which God's promises declare. These can be moments like we just mentioned that are global in context. And they can also be personal in that it's just about you and what's going on in your life but what they have in common is moments like these where we don't like the end part of our story. They hold the power to rob us of our gratitude. And if they take a strong hold in us, we will become stuck. And when we become stuck, we become vulnerable to something that we see in Mark chapter 12. Because when you and I are stuck, here's what happens for all of us. When we're stuck, we don't see God, we don't see ourselves, and often we don't see others the way we should. Oftentimes, all we can see is what they are not. We can't see what is. I've been there. And so the question, I guess, one level deeper today is, is being grateful only a day? Or is it only a practice? Or is there actually someone greater that we can anchor in? Because of Jesus, can it be more? And so Mark chapter 12, which is in our heartstrong reading, it gives us rich insights into how you and I are to address these questions. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he quotes from Psalm chapter 118. And if you know anything about Judaism, Psalm chapter 118 is used in festivals. So this is a very familiar passage of scripture, a very familiar text. And he says this in Psalm 118 verse one. And as I begin to say it, it'll come up on the screen. If you want to read it with me, you can. It says this, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love. So give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It doesn't say, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the circumstances are good. It's not what it says. It doesn't say, oh, give thanks to the Lord, because your paycheck is steady. Those are good things. 
That's not what it says though. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He doesn't just do good, he is good. And that his love is steadfast. It's immovable. It's forever. You know, you and I use words like forever in weird ways. Like if you're at a line in a line that's taking a long time, we're like, oh, this line is forever. That's not the way the Bible uses the word forever. The word forever means that his steadfast love is without end. Now, if you're in a line that does not ever end, then you have permission to say it's taking forever. Let's drop down to verse 22. It's a prophetic pointing to Jesus of Psalm 118. Here's what it says. And Jesus quotes it in Mark 12. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so Psalm 118 is, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And then by the time you get to verse 22, it says that there is going to be a stone. It's prophetically pointing to this Messiah, this Jesus, that there is going to be the cornerstone of humanity, the thing that humanity needs to build its life upon, our lives upon, but also humanity upon, but we're gonna reject it. We're gonna reject this stone. So the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so the question we need to ask today is, why would a builder reject a cornerstone? A stone that is set, that enables every then other stone to be set from this and upon this. Why would a builder reject a cornerstone? It's a very simple answer, and it is this. The cornerstone is rejected because it does not seem helpful for where they were at the time for what they are trying to build. Most Canadians reject Christ because they cannot see the value to build their lives upon him. There are other cornerstones that seem more secure. There are other cornerstones that seem more enticing, that seem more appealing, that seem more fit to build the life that they want other than Jesus. You know, we all have parts. By a show of hands, how many of you have a part of your story you don't like? Okay, just look around, look around, look around. Not a hand that doesn't go up. We all have parts that we don't like. We all have parts that, don't, that we go through that don't seem helpful for what it is that we're trying to build. We go through things that are we call negative preparation. Like when I think about the life of Joseph and I think about the foundation of God in the Old Testament, Joseph's life, man, did he go through things that were hard. And I'm sure that so many things that he went through, he didn't understand at all why he was going through what he was going through until he was in a place where all the weight of a nation was placed on his shoulders and he recognized a character that was different, was necessary for, for him to sustain this weight. So for you and for I, oftentimes we in life can be experiencing things and wondering, God, if you're good, why this? And how do I be thankful in this? But that is oftentimes limited vision for where God is at work in us. Most, as I mentioned a moment ago in our world today, when they look at Jesus, most Canadians, most Canadians, when they look at Jesus, he doesn't seem trustworthy for them to build their lives upon for what they are trying to build, but other things 
And they seem like much, such, such better fits than Jesus. And when we experience an ending that we don't like, whether it is a capital E ending or whether it is a small E ending, other cornerstones begin to look really appealing. And in Mark chapter 11, Jesus is talking to chiefs, priests, and elders. Each of these three individuals or individuals within society are building their lives on religion. And then Jesus comes, who is the embodiment of not just tradition, but everything that their hearts long for. But because he doesn't look and talk and do everything the way that they think the Messiah should look and talk and do, because in some ways he extends love and in other ways he cuts across their beliefs and essentially says, not good enough. We gotta go deeper here. They cannot see who he is because they are blinded by other cornerstones. And so they are gonna run the risk, Mark 11 says, of rejecting the chief cornerstone because they're building their lives on a different one. And Jesus is talking to chiefs and priests and elders in Mark chapter 11. And then the chapter turns to Mark chapter 12. And here's what's interesting about it. It is sandwiched between two stories of coins. It starts with a story about a coin and it ends, well, it starts with a question about a coin and it ends with the giving of a coin. In my pocket, I have a banknote. Turn the person beside you and say, woo. Mm. Now, here's all I understand about money. I do have, I did take economics classes in university, and I actually got A's in those classes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Somebody was like, oh, he's not as dumb as he looks. Well, give me 15 minutes, we'll get back there. But here's, what, here's one of the things that I understand about money. That this piece of paper doesn't actually have much worth. Like it's $100, but the piece of paper ain't $100. Some of you are like, that's not even paper. I don't know what it is. Oh, we're already back there. <laughs> but what I know is, for this currency to have the value of $100, it has to be backed by something. Whether it's GDP, whether it's gold, it's gotta be backed by, like I couldn't just develop my own currency and write numbers on it and go, yeah, I, that, it's a million dollars. Like it's gotta be backed by something. And what we do in nations is we put images of historical people that tell a story of what this is backed by, all right? You're all waiting to see if I was gonna give this out. I didn't, I'm not. I, <laughs> it's not, I gave it out like weeks ago. Lori asked for it and then she took my birthday money and she never gave it back. <laughs> yeah, she did, because she's, she's that blessed. But Mark chapter 12, the first question is a question of value. 
that in Mark chapter 12, on this Thanksgiving weekend, let's take a moment and let's talk about taxes. I know something we're all grateful for. <laughs> Turn the person beside you and say, I don't think I could be more grateful if I tried <laughs> to be more grateful for taxes. Aren't you grateful for taxes? Yes. No. <laughs> one, of the, what, what, one of the hardest things about taxes is that um, they're, they're usually not given, they're taken. Did they ever ask you your opinion? They take them off your paycheck. They don't give it to you first and then ask you to return it. They take it off your paycheck first because you know you wouldn't. They know you wouldn't give it if they gave it to you. It's interesting. Well, this is the way it was back then too. It says, they brought one and they said to him, this is now the Sadducees saying to Jesus, who's like, um, they bring him taxes and they essentially ask Jesus, like, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they brought one and they said to him, whose like, and Jesus said to them, sorry, whose likeness and inscription is this? So Jesus holds up a coin and says, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And everyone said, Amen. nothing. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But then he adds it and he says to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And it says, and they marveled at him. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, there are these things called commandments, and one of the commandments is that you should have no graven image before me. Not that there can't be a graven image on money, but all money does is begin to ask what gives it value? What backs this thing? What's be, it's not the piece of paper. What's behind it that gives it its value? And the Sadducees say to Jesus in, regard, in regards to taxes, and again, they, they ask him these questions not to get at truth, but they're trying to trap him. And history shows that the Roman coin on one side had the image of Tiberius, on the other was a god or the emperor of Rome. And so you can just picture with me in your holy sanctified imag imagination, Jesus holding up a coin and on one side is Tiberius and on the other side is a Roman god. And him saying, yeah, give the things to Caesar that are Caesar's. But then he almost invites them to turn it over and to begin to say, and now give the things to God that are God's. So in other words, this Roman coin is in the image of Caesar, so give it to Caesar. Here's the question, in whose image are you created? What gives your life value and meaning? Caesar's gold, or are you as a human being, are you created in the image and the likeness of God? What backs your life? Is it just temporal success? Or is it something that is deeper? Is it something that is better? When you look at somebody else, how many of you have one person in your life right now that grinds your gears? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, how many of you are sitting beside that person? That's not a, that's not a nice Thanksgiving question. 
As John Maxwell says, the first question was play along. The second question was an IQ question. Then don't answer those questions. And so Jesus is inviting us into these powerful insights like when we're with others who grind their gears. Can we see that they too are created in the image and likeness of God or are we only living rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? And when we disagree with one another, it gives us then the permission to devalue one another. And if we devalue one another, we see stories like we saw yesterday. Every single human is created in the image and likeness of God. We as Christians believe that from conception, from womb to tomb, every single life has intrinsic value because of God as creator. And doubly stamps on Kayla's womb, not just Kayla and Sam's human passion and purpose, but God's plan and purpose for a life that comes into this world. Every child that you see across the front, it's not just the parent that brings the child. Why are they dedicating them to the Lord? Every single parent, you know what they're saying? In essence, when I look at my kids, this is what I see, but God, I don't know what you see, and I want you to be at work in their heart and lives, not just me at work in their heart and lives. May they turn their hearts to you. May they turn their destiny to you. May they turn their dreams to you. God, would you work in them? Jesus invites again these two powerful insights. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, like this temporal monetary coin. But if we're gonna give Caesar his coins, I guess the dot, dot, dot for Jesus is then if you're created in the image and likeness of God, then what would it look like for you in all of Canada to each Canadian to give their hearts to God fully? How do you see others? And next we see a story about the Sadducees. Everyone say they, they were sad, you see. <laughs> I'm just warming you up for Jay Corto in a few minutes. He's coming with his jokes. So next we see a story about the Sadducees. And you know what they were? They were the religious priestly aristocracy. That's what they were. They had aligned with Rome. And it's interesting. If you read the Bible, you're going to see a story about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist engages his culture with a question about marriage, and he loses his head for it. And this is now another story about marriage that's going to create issues. And so if you think that marriage and the Bible and culture is a new issue, it isn't. It goes back thousands of years. Whatever God says is mine becomes a problem in humanity. And so when he says that this is a covenant picture, it's going to be a problem. Darkness is going to touch it. We're going to touch it. So we see a story about Sadducees who ask Jesus a question about marriage. Again, not seeking for truth, but seeking to trap him in a contradiction. There are many people who use God's word, not looking for truth, but looking to trap you in a contradiction. It's the same thing we see here. So the, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And if you don't know anything about the Bible and the story of Jesus, know this, that the resurrection of Jesus is a pretty big deal. Okay, it's a really big deal. And so they don't believe in the resurrection at all. And so to gain cultural influence, they partnered, the Sadducees did, with Rome. 
which they shouldn't have done. And so here's what they're doing, the Sadducees, which you need to know in Mark chapter 12. And this is another way that deconstruction is the word we would use today, that many people, even Christians, are looking at their cornerstone and saying, nah, not suitable. Because of the behavior of Christ's followers, I reject Christ as the cornerstone. What a foolish decision. I'm not saying be ignorant or cover up the foolishness of Christians. I am just saying, okay, let me ask you this way. How many of you have ever eaten at a restaurant and you've had an absolutely terrible meal? Can I see your hands, please? Like, brutal. Did you go to a restaurant after that again in your life? Can I see your hands, please? Yeah, you did. Probably not that one. But you didn't swear off restaurants for the rest of your life. Just because you had a bad Christian or a bad church service or a bad thing, don't swear off the rest of them for the rest of your life and don't mistake his church for him. I'm not saying that we don't bear accountability for our actions. What I am saying is sometimes our actions are using his name, but they do not have his character. And this we see, and this is what's happening here. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, so they're trying to gain cultural influence, and they've partnered with Rome, and they're trying to use the Bible incorrectly to pressure Jesus to come on their side so that they can once and for all deal with these Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection. And so their beliefs regarding resurrection were not driven by the Bible. They were actually beliefs, hear me with both ears and your whole heart, some of you, they were beliefs from the culture that they wanted to impose and change God's word. In other words, they began to look at the cornerstones and they said, well, that may have worked in one generation, but not this generation. So we want to remove that cornerstone and we want to put in one cornerstone that seems more fitting for where we are today. I know we don't do that at all anymore, but if you could use your imagination, this is what was happening. When our cultural beliefs press us to change his word, Jesus rebukes us with specific words. Jesus said to them, to the Sadducees, is this not the reason you are wrong? You know, love sometimes says to me and it says to you, you're wrong. No matter how passionate you believe what you believe, you're wrong. Aren't you glad that this word tells us we're wrong? It doesn't only affirm us. It does. How many of you have been reading this word and then all of a sudden this word begins to read you and you realize, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Jesus says this. Is this not the reason you were wrong? And he says to him for two reasons. First of all, you actually don't know the scriptures you're trying to use. And second of all, you don't know the power of God. What's the dot, dot, dot? You may be acquainted with a different power, but that power is not God, even if you call it God. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know, and you don't know God. You don't know God's power. To correct this, Jesus actually uses his word to refute their incorrect cultural interpretation of the Bible. 
So Jesus uses the truth of the scriptures and the power of God to incorrect their wrong perspective on it. And he says this, as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Turn the person beside you and say, that's the Old Testament. Just be a biblical theologian and a scholar. That's the Old Testament in the Torah, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he corrects, we don't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says to them, wrong cornerstone. He is the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, and he is the God of Jacob, to which they would have said, yeah, but they're all dead. And Jesus says, no, they ain't. They ain't walking around Israel right now, but no, they ain't. And he actually said it with that level of grammar. No, they ain't. <laughs> it's in Aramaic. Let those who have ears to hear. And those, those of you who are really intelligent, you know that's what it's translated in Aramaic, that Jesus said, no, they ain't. Turn the person beside and say, I don't believe that's true. <laughs> good discernment, good discernment on you. And so Jesus warns us about those who pretend to be pious, but they exploit the vulnerable using God's word incorrectly. Now at this precise point of the chapter, the audience changes and Jesus is no longer talking to the chiefs and the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the elders. Something happens that Mark records in Mark chapter 12 that Jesus calls his Something happens that is so monumental that Jesus stops and he calls his disciples and he says to them, look at this. Look at this. And here's what's fascinating. Mark's gospel doesn't record that Jesus says anything to the person in the story. And that's interesting. Because normally when Jesus sees something, he goes right to the person. But Mark's gospel records that Jesus doesn't say anything to the person in the story. But Jesus calls his disciples and says, in essence, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And it's a story about a coin. It began with a story about a coin, which is backed by value. It begins with the story of a coin that Caesar takes and taxes hard. And all the culture wants Jesus to rail against Caesar. And he doesn't. But now, Jesus points to a different story where a coin is not being taken, it's being given. And it's being given by somebody who has experienced parts in their stories that make them the most unlikely character that we could actually think that they would be the most grateful. Jesus has challenged the religious elite those who had everything in his culture, 
And now there is one seemingly who has nothing, and Jesus does not say to his disciples, look at the religious elite. He says nothing to them except be careful that their piety is just pretend, it's nothing, it's not real, it's not the right cornerstone. And then he sees a moment with a widow and a coin, and he goes, cornerstone. He sees something, and he wants them to see it as well, and I wanna read you the story. It says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Turn the person beside you and say, that makes me uncomfortable. Jesus just sits there. <laughs> Turn the person beside you and say, thank the Lord for tap. <laughs> Can't see it. You just like. So he sits there and says, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow, number one, if you're poor, You've experienced parts of your story that you're not grateful for, that are hard, that are hard to find gratitude in. And she's a widow, and all I know is both, all I know is this, that every single marriage that I officiate, there is not a single, single dream or desire to be widowed. What happens when you experience a part of your story you don't like? And so a poor widow came and she put in, she put in two small copper coins. And these two coins together, they made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, essentially, cornerstone. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. It's not about the offering box any more than this is about the paper. It is about the trust and the value that is behind it. It is about something that's deeper. For they contributed, and here's the word, out of their abundance but she, out of her lack, she, out of her poverty, has put in everything, all that she had to live on. If I could pull this story into 2023, it sounds like a life saying, Jaira, you are enough. And so I live trusting that my feet are anchored on a cornerstone that is not shaken, it is unshakable. And so the woman in the story who actually displays not taxes and taking, but worship, is this widow, this woman who has a part of her story that she should not be grateful, yet she is absolutely grateful. And so what if you don't like the end part of a part 
in your story. In Christ alone, even if you get an ending you do not desire, let God work and resist the temptation of touching him as your cornerstone. Because even if on this side of eternity, like or as a widow, even if you don't get the ending you want, Jesus promises that in him one day, even that, yes, that will be made new. And so if your ending is not yet good, I promise you, don't touch the cornerstone and God is not done. Because when Jesus is our cornerstone, gratitude is not a day, nor is it a journal, nor is it a practice. It is a person in which we are rooted in. Life Center, happy Thanksgiving from the bottom of our hearts.